Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, love in the time of coronavirus. So true story, I went away on vacation and knew nothing about this story. Then I get back and Lane says, hey, this might be good. So first, here's Lane with the story. For the first few months, quarantine wasn't so bad. James and Dorothy Hare listened to National Geographic audiobooks, called their grandkids, sat on the screen porch at sunset. Workers at their independent living facility delivered meals to their apartment. Their church live-streamed services. They took short, slow walks around their building in South St. Petersburg, her guiding him on a walker. They had their old cat and each other. We always said we could cope with anything as long as we had each other, said Dorothy, 87. They'd been together for more than 70 years. While he served in the army, she followed him around the world. Through 27 moves, two kids, and 12 cats. Even those times he was in the hospital, I always stayed with him, she said. He had Parkinson's disease and went blind a couple years ago. I had to be his eyes. He was always calling, Dorothy, where are you? I'd have to reassure him, I'm right here beside you. And every morning, even during the lockdown, she rummaged through a box beneath their bed and helped her 89-year-old husband choose his socks. He had more than 350 pairs of wild printed socks people had given him as presents. Everyone knew him as the sock man, said Dorothy. He was always showing his socks to strangers. In late July, James started having trouble breathing. Doctors gave him a pacemaker and sent him home. Five days later, he was back in the hospital with dehydration, kidney issues, pneumonia, and what nurses feared might be the coronavirus. This time, Dorothy couldn't stay. Even after they determined that it wasn't the virus, they wouldn't let me in to be with him, she said. He kept calling for me, asking where I was. He was supposed to be discharged August 2nd, but took a turn and had to go into hospice. Dorothy brought a bag and planned to move into his room, but the nurses made her go home. They told me I could only go back to be with him when he was imminent, at the very end, she said. I keep begging, please, we live together. Why can't I be with him? He's frightened. He needs me. This doesn't have to be the end. James loved telling the story of how they met. Over a bed, he'd tell anyone who asked. She was 13. Her parents ran the general store in rural Short Pump, Virginia. He was 15. His parents had just moved to town. 
Somehow during the move, a bed fell out of the truck. Dorothy's mom took her with her to deliver it to their new neighbors. I knew the moment I saw him, Dorothy said. I told my mother, that's the man I'm going to spend my life with. In high school, they dated other people, but when the Korean War broke out, they decided to get married. I don't remember how he proposed, Dorothy said. There's this picture of me on a porch swing, and he's on one knee, so that must have been it. They were 17 and 19. She wore a tan dress and yellow rose corsage to the wedding. He wore his new uniform. Eventually, James was transferred to New Jersey, then Pennsylvania. Their daughter, Susan, then son, Robert, were born near Valley Forge. Dorothy and the kids, and always at least one cat, followed James to England to four tours in Germany. She worked on the bases and human resources, running a child care center. I loved it as much as he did, she said. It was always a great adventure. Close the door and start another life. As long as we were together, everything was fine. During those seven decades, Dorothy and James only spent two years apart, one when he was in Korea, the other in Vietnam. We agreed on every move, she said. We were always a team. Sometimes, she said, they fought. Well, I fought, she said. He would never fight back. He was a kind, gracious soldier. In 1965, James was ordained as a deacon to serve in military chapels. In 1977, he became a command sergeant major, the highest enlisted rank in the Army. He won the Bronze Star, Legion of Merit, Meritorious Service Medal. When he retired in 1985, after 36 years, the military threw him a parade and more than a thousand soldiers came to salute him. He told everyone, I served along with him, Dorothy said. They bought a house in Tierra Verde, but James couldn't sit still. He and Dorothy started serving as guardians for elderly people who didn't have family. Over 18 years, they looked after 14 wards. I did the paperwork, she said. He did the people part. He also volunteered at Palms of Pasadena Hospital, helping patients get to appointments. In 1992, James contacted the Southern Baptist Convention and helped found the Island Chapel, where he was appointed a deacon. The new pastor and his wife became their best friends. Mike Wetzel, the minister, started the sock craze. He gave them to James for Christmas and dared him to wear them, said his wife, Maria. Little did we know that would become his calling card. He'd ask everyone, have you seen my socks? He had a mission, said Dorothy. He tried to compliment 10 people a day without lying. As James got older, he grew even more outgoing. He'd just walk up to people and start talking to them, people he didn't even know, said his son, Robert. His grandson, Ben, said, he loved God, his country, his family, his pets, and a good joke, probably in that order. Whenever anyone asked James how he was doing, he would smile and say, I don't know, Dorothy hasn't told me yet. When she got the call last week, Dorothy hurried to Suncoast Hospice's Woodside facility. Her son and grandchildren met her there. Only two people were allowed in James' room at a time, so her grandsons waved out from outside the window while her son and granddaughter took turns with her by his side. You know you're the love of my life, Dorothy told her husband, bending over his bed last Wednesday. I will always love you. His eyes were closed. His brow was hot. She wasn't sure he could hear her or even knew she was there. She soaked a washcloth in cool water and smoothed it on his forehead. She was holding it, staring at his face when she saw him take his last breath. It broke my heart, she said later. All those long last days he was living in hell all alone. If I'd been able to be there at his bedside, I could have protected him. He would have been able to rebound and come home. The virus didn't take him, but this was just as bad. James wanted to be buried in his dress uniform, Dorothy told the funeral director at Anderson McQueen. 
You should be wearing standard issue black army socks, she said, but no one will see them in the casket. She had brought a favorite pair, bright blue with red stripes emblazoned with army. One last way she could help her husband before she had to go home alone. Talk a little bit about how you found Dorothy. Well, I got a tip from um, a really good source. She runs a group called the Volunteers of America. And we've done several stories over the past where she had projects she wanted to publicize or people had got done you know, good deeds. And she actually went to church with Dorothy and James. And she called me with the story idea of help this woman get in to see her dying husband because he's stuck in this hospice and she can't get in there. And maybe if you write a story about it, people will change this policy or take pity on her and, you know, see that she needs to have an exception made for her. So that was the, the pitch was on a Tuesday, I think. And I reached out to Dorothy um, and I think I reached out to the minister's wife as well. And I didn't hear back until Thursday when the minister's wife called to say that he had just passed away. So I sat there for a minute and I thought, well, there goes my story. You know, if the, the purpose of the story is trying to get her in to see him and now he's gone, that's not going to help. But in talking to the minister's wife, she said, oh, she's so excited. You want to do a story about her husband who was this, you know, wonderful army hero and it's going to really help her heal for you to write this story about him now that he's gone. And I'm like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> like, how do I tell this lady I can't do this story now because he's dead, you know? And I really, I wrestled with it for a little while. And she said, well, we're going to go, um, plan his funeral tomorrow. This was on a Thursday afternoon. We're going to meet at the funeral home Friday morning. Um, and can I get you some information about the funeral? And I said, can I just meet you at the funeral home? Like if you're going to go in person and wear masks and be there to plan this funeral, I thought, well, maybe that's a scene that I could write like a little encounter or something about like planning a funeral and coronavirus. You know, that was kind of my, my thought, but the longer I sat there and, and listened to her talk to the funeral people and her grandson was there and the minister's wife was there, I just realized it was a love story. Um, and it was a story about wanting to be there at the end and not being able to, you know, after geez, 70 years by someone's side. Um, Lane mentioned Encounters, which is just our name for um, a, kind of a, a short narrative that uh, illustrates so hopefully something meaningful and impactful from uh, someone's life. So um, that's the name we use for, for some of those stories. Um, I was just going to say, so I, when I know when I got back and Lane started talking to me about it, because she had been to the funeral home and she had talked to the family and, you know, she had the, the history of the man's life and uh, all of that. And I know you were like, kind of like, you're not really sure what this story is. Like, is it an obit? I mean, what is it exactly? And um, I, I'm sure other people have that feeling from time to time. You go out, you do all these interviews, and you might come back and scratch in your head a little bit. Um, but I think we were both drawn, as you were talking about it, we were both drawn to just her love for him and her her devotion and, and just how that, that, that painful separation, that's, that's what I think we were both drawn to as we talked about it. But that's what comes from having a really good editor, because I hadn't seen that. I thought it was a story about him, you know, and I think pretty quickly on, you were like, no, wait a minute, this is Dorothy's story. This is Dorothy's perspective. She's the one who has something at stake. And having you help me see that or figure that out really changed what the story was, you know, because she wanted it to be, you know, the quintessential obit tribute to the soldier, 
you know, and she had three pages of awards and tours of duty and all this stuff he'd done. And, and a little of that goes a long way, right? Like I, that wasn't going to be enough to like float a, a real story. Um, but having the tension about her loss, I think really helped. And that, that we started talking about it as Dorothy's husband. We just like, like the first, one of the first things I said to Lane is what's her name? Cause I, I don't know. I like to get the, like, okay, who, what's the character? Who are we talking about? So Lane said Dorothy and it's right away. Dorothy transports me back like 60 years. Right. I'm like, okay, Dorothy's kind my of grandmother was Dorothy. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, and then just the way you described her being so devoted at, at the end. And obviously, you know, then you go back and like, and you were, you were even like, you were like, Oh, they were married for 70 years. And, um, you know, like, I think what was striking is that what struck you was how, how sweet they were, that they had so, so much of their lives, they'd never been apart. And now here, not even from the, he didn't have the virus, so it wasn't that, but the virus still kept them apart, which was pretty compelling. Well, and I think that was another key was their story was illustrative of so many other people, what they're going through right now, where you just can't be with that person at the end. You know, I think a lot of people, their worst fear is dying alone. And most of us feel like, oh, at least people love me. I will not be alone at the end. But now, like, no matter how many people love you, you might be alone at the end. And I think her, um, I also like the, the dynamic because you know, he's this military guy who she followed along, you know, over the years. But in the end, she was taking care of him. He was like literally leaning on her while they took a walk. She was his eyes, you know. So you have somebody who's consumed all of your world for the last couple of years. And she didn't want to go back to the empty apartment. You know, even when we were leaving the funeral home, she did not want to leave because the planning the funeral was like, the last thing she had to do were her friend and her grandson and all were going to come help her. And then she had to go back by herself. And I just thought that was kind of sadly profound. Let's talk a little bit about the tension there of like that, you know, what's important to the story subject versus what, what story you find most interesting, right? Because they're not always the same thing. In fact, probably a lot of times they're not the same thing. Um, So I, how do you confront that when you're like, like you, she's, they're telling you, they're all excited and they're saying, oh, we, oh yeah, we want you to write the obituary. And you're not really thinking, I want to write an obituary. So why, how do you wrestle with that? I, I think after 30 years of doing that, that's still one of the hardest things, you know, because I understand the, um, the responsibility that comes with being the last word on someone's life. You know what I mean? It's like, should, should this woman get the last word on what's said about her husband or should I, you know what I mean? And that's, that's like, selfish and and serving the story and the readers but not necessarily the family um so i i have a really hard time struggling with that trying to figure out how to balance it and i think i said to her you know you could she didn't understand how the obituary worked or whatever so i said you guys can put whatever you want in the obituary you know but for my story give me like the top five medals or the top five accolades that he had you know the so so at least they could pick them you know, it wasn't me saying like, here's what I think is important, but I'm narrowing her down from like three pages to five bullet points. You know, um, they had lost a daughter um, earlier and she talked a long time about burying their daughter um, and how hard that was on them as a couple. And I originally had that in the story. And then I thought that's layering on loss. You know, I don't need to go in that direction, although she wanted to honor her daughter and her daughter's memory, this is about her and her husband, you know, so I kind of try to steer her around that too. But I, I try really hard to read it as if I was the wife, 
you know, before I turn it in, like, what's she going to think? How's she going to feel? Is there something I didn't do I should have or something I did that I shouldn't, you know, like, just really trying to, like, put myself in her headspace, you know. That's really good advice, though, because you ended up, like, you didn't tell his whole history, but we were able to tuck in a little bit about his career, which she, that was really important to her, that, that, that people know, you know, what are the, what is what what career he'd had and how how well he'd done but and and so it was it just tucked in rather than being a bigger focus of the story right and I think again that was something you helped with because you said tell it through her perspective you know while he was doing this that and the other thing what was she doing you know and that kind of the idea of them together as a couple got shorn up that way instead of it just being a list of military honors you know well and and this is really it, it sounds very harsh to say too but like you know, she's clearly the character to me because she's around and she's the one that has to live with um, the pain of this, right? And so while he may have been a great guy and he may have done remarkable things, it's like she's the one that it's, she's, it's like we're telling it through her and we're telling it through this is, this is her husband. This is, again, Dorothy's husband. And, and Dorothy is now faced with not only coping with the loss, but the, the way it happened and, and, you know, now 70 years, imagine 70 years with somebody and now you don't have him. I mean, it's just like, I don't know, to me, that was so much more powerful than who he had been, which is again, Absolutely. harsh to say. <laughs> well, and also having that moment, like, just so you guys know, like I spent probably three hours at that uh, funeral home and the only thing I got out of it was what two two paragraphs, the last two paragraphs of the whole story was all I got out of that. But it was a moment to see what was important to her at the end was still to do whatever she could to honor him, you know, to, to help him, to honor him, to do what he would want to do. And so when she pulls out those socks, I was like, there's my ending. You know, I, I kind of knew all sitting through three hours of funeral home talk would be worth it at the end to get those socks, you know? Well, and, and you did, you do them a, a service, right? By listening to her, even if it doesn't end up in the story. So again, going back to that tension around what they want and what you want, um, you're, she's getting to tell her story, even if, even if a lot of what she told you didn't show up in the paper. Yeah, and lucky for me, they had brought a box of photos because they were trying to pick what photo they wanted to go in the obit. So they were showing them all to the funeral director. And that's a wonderful reporting tool, I think. If you can get somebody to take out a box of photos and tell you the story of their life, I mean, the moments that arise in there that you wouldn't get by just interviewing someone. You know, I got the proposal on the porch swing. There was a, a moment of him in front of a tank, you know, and them with eating watermelon when they were 20 and then when they were 70, you know, and so she probably wouldn't have brought up those memories if I just asked her to tell me about your life. But because we had a box of pictures to go through, it really, really helped me getting some wonderful details. Well, and you, um, yeah, for instance, so you had the picture from the wedding day, um, which of course you were able to then describe what, and you could sort of take her back. What were you wearing? What was he wearing? This, this very quick wedding because they thought he was going to be shipped overseas. And, um, but that, yeah, that's a nice touch too, just being able to even use the photographs as uh, details for your story. Right, and I like the one place where she said, you know, she didn't remember how he proposed, but she remembered the photo. Because I think that's true for so many of us, um, even in our 50s, like we don't really remember things except for this snapshot of it, you know what I mean? And 
So there's a, a great reporting tool there for people. You can get people to like open their photo albums or their. So talk a little bit about Dorothy's reaction. Oh, I guess a neighbor um, woke her up that morning with a copy of the paper and knocked on her door. And um, her friend, the minister's wife, um, told me that it was the first time that she'd cried since he died. That like she had, she's this really like ball of energy, super sharp on, you know, no taking care of business lady and was trying to like be real stalwart after he passed and get through all the stuff she had to do you know and so the minister's wife thanked me for that and she, she said you you helped her cry at this moment and and uh, I saw her again later because I took some copies of the paper to the church and she was just she was um very happy with it and she was so surprised it went on the front page <laughs> she couldn't believe that that was, it was actually the day after the primary election. And um, I, I remember that the, the Paul Alexander, who's the head of our design staff and um, copy desk, and he, he, was, he was really eager to have it in the mix because he wanted something different than just all election stuff. And, um, and we do that anyway. I think we, we tend to look for those opportunities to kind of give people some kind of human interest story to mix, you know, along with all the other stuff. So, and I, I mean, so, and the reaction you got from people, I know it, it took off online and, and people seem to be, I, I think, cause you're right. I think it hit that note of like, this is happening to so many people. Um, it's the experience that being separated from your loved one, especially at the end. I got, I got so many emails from people who wanted to tell me their own love story. And this one 90 year old lady who called and talked to me for over an hour because she wanted me to write a book about her husband who died 20 years ago. <laughs> but, you know, I think it, it brought out a lot of like commonality, you know, in terms of relationships, anybody who's been married can think of themselves in that situation, you know? Um, and, and we done, you know, this goes back to what we talked about in some previous podcasts about, we've done lots of stories about people can't get in to see their dying relatives. You know, we had done that, the issue story a lot. Um, what's the governor saying? What's the policy at the nursing home? But I don't think we'd seen it through Dorothy's eyes, you know? Wait, you spent an hour on the phone with a 90 year old woman who was pitching you a story about a, her husband who'd been dead for 20 years? I could not stop her. She had so many wonderful memories to share. And she kept going, will you write a story about him? Will you write a story about him? And I'm like, well, when, when did he pass away? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. That's sometimes both the, the burden, but also the joy of this job, right? You, you listen to these people who just want to pour out their stories to you. And, and it's delightful. I mean, I'm honored. All right, on that note, if you have a question for Lane about this story or you want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Ayana Ishmael. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.